You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, at the bottom of this mine, lies a big, big man, Jeff McLarchuge. I think it's Big Bad Jeff McLarchuge. Big Bad Jeff. <laughs> too many syllables, too many syllables. Just shorten it to John yeah, or something yeah. easy. It doesn't, yeah, it hey, doesn't man. flow right. What's going on? How are you? We got to punch that one up. I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? Uh, I'm cool. <laughs> I'm chill, as it were. I'm coolin'. <laughs> coolin'. coolin'. I, I've yep. decided to, to pick up another stupid winter project because, of course, I did. Last year, I built an office in my basement. That was, oh, yeah, my, yeah. Uh, that was my December, November, December project. Learned how to do a bunch of carpentry stuff to do that. What are you building this year? This year, it's more creative and certainly more frustrating. I guess my self-esteem has been really high lately, so I'm going to knock it down a couple of notches by picking up and trying to learn how to play the guitar again using YouTube and other tools. And I've done this before, and I had some minor success in that I could play some of a song four or five minutes. Um, yeah, you were playing like, uh, I think it was Three Wishes by Roger Waters when I was over there. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So that's a song I haven't even tried to play since probably that day. Um, and of course, like like anything you don't do for a while, your brain is like, well, this is going to go where the car keys are left and, and your phone <laughs> number and all the other things that are like your children's birth dates. All, it's all going to go into the big nobody gives a shit file and off in the trash it goes. Right. But it's not like riding a bicycle. It is not sure, like right? riding a bicycle. Yeah, I started picking it back up and trying to trying to get my way. And, and I'm pretty sure that at any moment now, I'm going to be served with like a cease and desist order from the American Guitar Players Association of America. <laughs> because when I play, it sounds like I hate guitars and I hate people that play them. <laughs> That's how bad I am at this. Like, I, I try to play I, Wish You Were Here and it comes out, I wish you would stop. <laughs> I am not a great musician myself. Uh, I started out in bands long before I got into the haunted house acting and all that stuff. My first artistic endeavors were, uh, well, entertainment endeavors were in music. My instrument of choice was keyboards. And as my bass player put it, he said to me, you picked one of those instruments that you have to be absolutely very good at to get away with. Yeah. He goes, with guitar, you could just like, you know, hit power chords and stuff like that. But piano, you have to be good at it to right. sound good at you it. You got to kind of know what you're um, doing. Yeah. So, and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, so um, during the pandemic of 2020, um, not only did I learn how to ride a unicycle, but I also bought a ukulele. Oh. I had a theme. It started with the letter U. Ukulele is a lot easier than guitar, but it, that does not stop me from being very bad at it. Right. But I didn't buy it to be good at it. I bought it to have fun with it. That's like me. This is me trying to entertain myself. And basically, the entertainment sort of works like this. I start to play, and after about 15 minutes, I get irritated. 
So that's an emotion, right? Irritation. Yeah, and yeah. then after about 20 minutes, my hands ache and I'm irritated more. So that's like more emotion and physical pain. And then one of my ears has gone deaf, specifically, I think, because I was playing a lot of guitar that year. And it's <laughs> my ear just gave up. So It revolted on you. <laughs> that's it. I'm just here for decorations now. That's it. I'm out of here. And like the people that I use online that, that I watch, you know, I'm trying to learn how to play songs that I like because why would I want to learn how to play songs that I don't like? Right. Even though they're, they know that they're, that they're teaching people like me who are as dexterous as a mannequin and uh, have as much stick as a Teflon pan, they're still out there like, here's how you play High and Dry by Radiohead. And like, here's the easy opening chord. And it's like, my, I don't have those fingers, dude. Mine don't bend like that, you know? So, so it's. it's and then you really end up the pausing point. the video and counting his fingers just to make sure. Yes, I'm sure this is how they like. I got an idea for a song. Wait, let me. Give me a minute. I got to put my. Nope, that's the thumb doesn't work that way. Oh, that hurts. You know, it's. God, it's <laughs> very frustrating. It's on fun, the, but it's frustrating. On the ukulele, there is two chords that I stay away from like they're on fire. And unfortunately, those chords are pretty easy on guitar, but on the ukulele, they're you know they're torturous. Right. Uh, the E, the E chord, and the B chord. And unfortunately, because they're easy to do on guitar, a lot of songs are written in those chords. <laughs> yes. For me, it's the friggin' F bar chord or the B bar. I can't oh, see, do F those. F is really easy. I can't do those. My fingers are too small. I need a guitar with a smaller neck. I think I have four guitars here. All of them yep. are neglected. It's terrible. If there's like a guitar foster home, my guitar should all be there. Uh, <laughs> you just keep buying them. I just keep buying them. Like, maybe this one will be good. It's not. <laughs> so what I actually did, though, is I had a, a piano, right? I had a piano from whenever I was in the band. Right. And whenever I bought my new desk, I was like, oh, I'm going to learn how to play the ukulele. And I'm going to put the piano up here. And I can, like, kind of, like, go back and forth and play both of them. And the piano now is almost invisible because it is covered with papers, movies, stuffed animals, and mail because yeah. I don't touch it. I right, don't play right, exactly. it. It just, it, it just sits there mocking your disinterest. Yes. Yeah, it's an obstacle on my desk is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is a terrible idea. Yeah, the only practical offshot is that section of the desk isn't very dusty. Hmm. <laughs> All right, but before we get the show started, I do have my award-winning and always wildly popular trivia question, and I think you're going to get this one because uh, you're kind I of a... So. Yeah, you're kind of a techie guy, and I was unaware of this, so this is more like a, a trivia question for me. Maybe okay. you should ask me the question. Good idea, but I don't know which one you picked. So, <laughs> All right, so what company up until 2018 used the slogan, Don't Be Evil? Oh, I'm pretty sure I do know this one, but I'm going to save my answer to the end of the show. Savor it. Savor it. Because it's the last one you're getting, Large Huge. <laughs> so this is the week beginning, December the 13th, and it is your turn to start. Ah, uh, December 13th, 1759, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the first music store advertisements produced in the United States are sent, I, I would assume, in the newspaper to residents of Philadelphia. Well, it wasn't on a podcast, I'm going to guess. It's, it's, there was no TV. It's not like they could interrupt the Phillies yeah. game if there was even a Philly, you know, Phillies baseball didn't exist yet. So the reason that this is funny is is the, the impetus to put out advertisements has a couple of different things. One is you want to 
advertise. You want people to come in and buy whatever it is that you're selling: sheet music, right. and, uh, harp, you know, or calliopes, yeah, right, a guitar to decorate your living room like mine, a harpsichord, uh, a triangle. The other one is to explain to people what it is you are. This is the first music store that opened the United States. It's right. not the very first music store in the world. But for a lot of people, I think in Pennsylvania at the time, it probably was the first music store they ever saw. So I'm sure that the owners called? were behind the counter and somebody would come in and be say like, so uh, what do you do here? We sell musical instruments and we sell sheet music. We have lessons. You can you know hire one of our teachers. Oh, and you can only say that so many times before you just like, you know what? We're going to print up a bunch of flyers and just put those around because I can't do this anymore. Yeah, I can imagine they open up the door, the little bell rings. They're like, yeah, I want one of those. Right. Yeah, exactly. I just don't think you get that kind of like walk-in traffic. You're trying to upsell me. I wanted a little ding bell and you're trying to sell me a sousaphone. A triangle, eh? Well, a strapping young lad like you should be using a glockenspiel. (laughs) And this is before electric guitars, so you can't even do like the, oh, you want to be in a rock and roll band like all the cool kids. It's more like, oh, you want to play the timpani in the school symphony, huh? So there used to be a music store up the street from me and this guy named Pat worked there. He was a cool guy. He talked very fast, very, very fast. I used to go there and hang out and talk with him, right? And he was like, oh, dude, you should have been in here like 10 minutes ago. There was these two freaking whacked out girls and they were over there like trying to get my phone number and all that. You should have been here. It was awesome. Oh, yeah? He goes, oh, here they come. And they came in the door, right? <laughs> yep. One of them had like Cruella DeVille hair. Now, this is like 1986. Right. I mean, you kind of see the yeah. two-toned hair a lot now. But back then, they right? Yeah, sick. back then it was either you were on Josie and the Pussycats or yeah. you had an accident with hydrogen peroxide. Yeah. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Oh, you, yeah. Oh, you ran out of black dye. One or the other. Right. <laughs> this girl, like, they had just gone to Burger King and she was like, "I get rings," and I was like, "Uh, wow, no thanks." Cheeseburger? Uh, no. Poetry? And she like hands me this notebook. I was like, "Okay, yeah, I'll bite." What a mistake that was. I should have had the onion rings. It was like <laughs> it was like reading Dean Koontz meets I don't even freaking know. That and, and she wasn't like older or anything like that. She was my age because many years later I ended up meeting the other girl somewhere else. She ended up becoming like a mm-hmm. a casual friend of mine. And then yeah. I had told her about the story. I go, wait a second. You were the girl at the music store with the weird girl with the poetry. And she goes, oh, yeah. And then she said the other girl's name. And I'm like, wait, who? She goes, yeah, you know her. And I was like, yeah, she's on my bowling league. That was her? She's like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. Because that girl on the on the bowling put it this way. She didn't grow out of it. She stayed absolutely yeah. bizarre and weird. Yeah. <laughs> So stay out of music stores, kids. They're dangerous, dangerous places. I stay out of music stores because they go, oh, my God, he's here again. Don't let him touch the guitars. Get him away from that wall. You know, He's going to buy another one. All right, so let's move on to the 14th. Here's somebody who's actually good at uh, music, unlike us. Oh. December the 14th, 1969, the Jackson 5 make their television debut on The Ed Sullivan Show. Yeah. I like the Jackson 5. I love the Jackson 5, too. I was a baby. One of the first record albums that I had played over and over again with my babysitters and my parents when I was a little kid was a Jackson 5 record. Which one? ABC? Uh, I don't know if it was ABC or not. I was three. Well, it'd make a lot of sense. It could have been. Right, it would make a lot of sense. No, I remember that it was one that I played side after side after side over and over again as a kid. Now, they were discovered by Diana Ross. Of all people, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I'm pretty sure she's the one who got 
them their recording contract and ended up ultimately getting them on TV. They were with Motown, hence they had that perfect sound to them. I think Barry Gordy produced their first record. Uh-huh. They hit every single chart. Oh, yeah. They, they were, were like and uh, an astonishingly good. Yeah, they went from, you know, here's the Jackson 5 to absolute superstardom in like a very short amount of time. They had their own Saturday morning cartoon, if you recall. I do. I remember watching that when it was just on Saturday mornings. And then years and years later, they ran them on MTV. Yep. And I think they used to run them on some of the UHF stations, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a conspiracy theory that's out there that uh, Michael Jackson is not the son of Joe Jackson and, Mrs. I don't know, Jackson. Mrs. Joe Jackson. <laughs> Mrs. Jackson, Mr. and Mrs. Jackson, but is really the love child of uh, Diana Ross and Smokey Robinson. And the conspiracy works like this. One, Diana Ross lived near Smokey Robinson and they traveled in the same circles. She was 14 and he was older than her. I don't know if, if he was much older than her, mm-hmm. but he was in local bands at the time that she would go and see. A little bit of uh, fun happens and then whoop somebody's pregnant right so she moved away she and her family left moved to another town and then she ended up in the supremes for motown records Smokey robinson ended up in motown as well they both became famous musicians At that point joe jackson already had four kids that were starting to play music rumor has they took in michael as a as an infant when he was born and just added him to the family okay so, this whole conspiracy is true you don't know if it's true. This whole conspiracy falls directly into like a million pieces like Thanos just snapped his fingers because yes. Michael, LaToya, and Janet, if you don't have your glasses on, are all the same person. They all look exactly the, person, the same. Yes. Yeah. Actually, if you look at the Jackson 5, like there's what? Marlon, Randy, Tito, and Jermaine, right? I think that's the that's the group. Sure. And Michael. They, they all have the same face. It's like they're all stamped out at different sizes, but it's all the same face. Boom, 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 boom. Like, it came out of a mold. But it's fun to think about. And Diana Ross is the one that sort of discovered them and spent a lot of... They all lived in the same house for a while. And There was another rumor. We used to call them rumors. Now we call them conspiracy theories. But there used to be a rumor back in the 80s that Michael Jackson was uh, doing it with Diana Ross. He actually had the song Dirty Diana, if you recall. Right. <laughs> given given this rumor, it's that song's incredibly creepy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, on the front page of my Facebook, I have a, a quote that I've been standing by for the past couple of years. It's not a conspiracy theory. You're just wrong. Right. All right, next up. December 15th, 1955, probably the most famous of Johnny Cash's songs, is released. Uh, it is Folsom Prison Blues and comes to define modern country music. So 13 years later, it becomes a Billboard Song of the Year. Yeah, modern country music for that time, because modern country music now is just like basically hip hop with a southern accent. Well, what I <laughs> what I mean is like modern country music and that it's not a cowboy song. Right, okay. It's set in the present at the time that it was written. It deals with issues of the time, at, and it's not a nostalgia song about being a cowpoke or whatever. The song is really gritty and stuff. So I'm listening to this uh, podcast. It's a series a long one at that called The History of Rock and Roll in 500 Songs. Right. He was talking about country and Western music and explaining why it's called country and Western because those were two distinct genres that kind of got smashed in together. Oh, we got both kinds of music here. (laughs) Country and Western. (laughs) I got friends that live in the town that that bar is. It's in Kokomo, Indiana. Oh, really? Yeah. And they're, they're fans of the show, too. 
but uh, getting back to country ah. and western music, they kind of just like smashed the two together because country music was kind of like about like hometown stuff, like it is, and like uh, John Cougar, Mellencamp kind of stuff, like we discussed a couple of months ago. Yeah, yeah. And then there was western music, which was about like cowpokes and cowboys and stuff like that. And then they just kind of like. Right mushed together because they were very similar in style and, and twang. I'll guess that probably the same like labels had both styles as well. Right. So probably a small subset of labels all had the same sort of crossover amongst themselves. Yeah. And then we got both types of music here, rhythm and blues. So F- Folsom Prison Blues, speaking of my horrifically bad guitar playing, is one of the songs that I was learning to play and led directly to the fact that I have a dog and do not have a rabbit <laughs> as a pet. So let me explain. Please do, because that, that, that's, a, that's a reach, yeah. It definitely is. It's, it has nothing to do with Johnny Cash per se, other than the song existing. But when my son was 13, I bought him a guitar because I was playing guitar a lot and he was not, he was interested in it. So I'm like, oh, cool. Birthday gift. I got him an acoustic guitar and I started sending him to guitar lessons, which he seemed to really enjoy. And the summer that he was taking these lessons, he was down in Westport, Mass at like the Westport County Fair or something. They had rabbits there that you could buy as pets. And he started having my mother send me pictures because he was staying down there with my mother of him cuddling this rabbit. And he wanted a rabbit and a rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. And I wanted him to play guitar and practice. So I said, I tell you what, boy, because I said that, boy. (laughs) Uh, you learn Folsom Prison Blues all the way through, and I'll get you a rabbit. And he said, okay. And the little bugger did it. <laughs> he did it. He learned Folsom Prison Bloody Blues and played it for me. And then he said, where's my rabbit? And I was like, uh, rabbits are not things that you have as pets. They're things that you have with potatoes. So <laughs> let's get a dog instead. And ultimately, we ended up getting my dog, Oreo, who... Careful listeners will occasionally hear rattling her tags around because she stays in my room while I record. I think you uh, learned a powerful lesson that day. Don't underestimate your son. That kid's really smart. I, yes. <laughs> I like, oh my God, he did. He, did, he plays it way better than I do. <laughs> and he just, when he played it, he just looked, he just stared at me. Like he was like, oh yeah? You know? <laughs> bow, 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 bow. And I was like, God. Did I say Folsom Prison Blues? I meant Flight of the Bumblebee. <laughs> Exactly. I'm sorry. I thought what I said was you have to learn YYZ. (laughs) Hey, Jeff, it looks like we're doing another music episode because I got another music category for the 16th. I love music episodes. That's great. December the 16th, 1983, The Who announces that they are breaking up. And then they didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I remember when they did that final tour. And they showed one of the one of the concerts on HBO, and that went on to become the record "Who's Last," which I bought and at one time owned. Yes, I watched that concert on HBO a bunch of times. Yeah, I did too. I remember when the record came out; it was reviewed in Rolling Stone with one line: "Who gives a shit?" <laughs> <laughs> right? That was the whole review of of "Who's Last." By the time that they were in '80, they were sort of limping along after a long few years of touring and the deaths in Cincinnati. Yeah. And then the death of Keith Moon. They weren't far apart either, those two deaths. I think they were both in 79. So, yeah, and then after Keith Moon passed away, he was replaced with Kenny Jones from The the Faces. You know, I listened to Pete Townsend's autobiography, and he said it was a real pleasure at that time playing with Kenny Jones because he was a drummer, and the band followed the drummer like you're supposed to. He goes, you know, we were playing along following the drummer where with Keith, it was the other way around where we played and he followed us. 
So it was a real pleasure, you know, playing in a band where the drummer it keeps the rhythm. It's funny too, because I listened to an interview with Kenny Jones and he talked about his time in The Who and he says it was really weird playing live. The studio was great, but it was really weird playing live with them, especially with some of the older songs that we would do because I'd be playing along to Bob O'Reilly or something and like Pete would look over at me like I was going to do something dynamic and I'm like... What do you want from me? <laughs> like, he's like, he knows that Keith Moon would have done something, smiled at him, like raised his sticks, right. did a drum fill. I just kept drumming, you know? Yeah. And then he would like, oh, sink back down. And, and it was really, really disconcerting to play. Yeah. Keith Moon was actually the inspiration for Jim Henson's Muppet Animal, which is very apparent, actually. <laughs> so the Who, they stayed broken up for, what, a couple of months? Uh, no. <laughs> they, Long enough for Kenny Jones to collect unemployment. Yeah, I think it was just a very elaborate way uh, for them to kick Kenny Jones out of the band. It's like, well, that's going to be it, Kenny. We're, uh, we're breaking up the band. And uh, you don't happen to have... Richard Starkey's phone number, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's only seven, but, you know, give him 10 years and he's he'll be old enough to travel. So they, they didn't stay broken up for that no, long. No, I, th- I think maybe it was under 10 years. I think they were back out. Was, yeah. I think they were back out on the road uh, in like 89 or 90 or something like that. I know Pete Townsend put out a couple of solo records after they broke up. I, I think Chinese Eyes, he was still in the band, but then he did the Iron Man and White City, which is a great record. Interesting about um, the Iron Man album is the Who perform on that album. Yes, they do. A, well, they also perform on White City. They're just not. They're not credited. No, as they the were Who. credited as the Who in um, on on the Iron Man album because. Oh, oh, I didn't. Yeah, know that. they do uh, a cover of. Fire from Arthur Brown. Yeah, I had I had the Iron Man record. I again, I have everything Pete Townsend. I love Pete Townsend. Did you ever see the Who live? Mm, I have never seen the Who oh, live. Oh, I saw them when they they came back around doing Quadrophenia, probably about five or six years ago now. Uh, that was that was excellent. That was an excellent show. I don't know. There's like a thing about watching bands that are aging to the point where like it's less about like oh my god these guys are so great live. It's more like like why am I here? Like what. <laughs> Is this what life is like? Is that you just have to keep kind of trundling on with what you do until, like, Charlie Watts, you kind of die one day after you stop playing drums? Well, I'll I'll tell you, Roger Daltrey sounded fantastic, even though he was, like, 70 years old, you know? He still sounded fantastic. Pete Townsend's voice was a little rough around the edges. But, they, like I said, they did Quadrophenia. And right at the beginning, when they're doing the overture, and he plays that the lead from Love Rain Over Me. Yep. You, uh, it's Pete Townsend. Anybody yeah. can play that lead, but nobody can play it like Pete Townsend. So right, it was right. something to hear Pete Townsend play that lead. I, I really wanted to see the the monkeys at, on one of their earlier reunion tours when they were most of them were still alive, and like now it's I could have gone to see like Mickey Dolenz and Mike Nesmith doing their farewell tour in 2021, but I was like, hey, I think it's ultimately just going to make me sad. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'll skip it. You know, admittedly, I have seen bands where the members are uh, twice as old as I am. Like when I went to see Perubu, I've seen them twice. And Dave <laughs> Thomas, Dave Thomas looks like the crazy old man that sits on the porch and yells at the squirrels. Like I, he's he's a million years old. I went to see Alice Cooper a couple of months ago. And I went with my friend Tom, who's a listener of the show, and he's going to laugh his ass off when he hears this. He, we were talking about the show. He goes, hey, I got a question for you. Yeah. Who the hell is Perubu? <laughs> I was like, I know, Jeff brings them up a lot. I'm not really all that familiar with them myself. Oh, 
So you should be. They're a fantastic yeah. band. Uh, even now. When, yes. when I told him they were a part of Erga Music War, he goes, Oh, I know who they are now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's let's get on to the next part. December seventeenth, twenty eighteen. A poacher, it's a guy who kills deer without a license Sorry, oh. or kills more deer than his license is allowed for. Yeah, uh, a poacher doesn't have to be deer. It could be any animal, but yeah. Right, right, yeah. Well, in this case, it's deer. A poacher named David Berry Jr. was convicted of poaching. He and five or six of his friends weren't just shooting deer and taking the meat. They were cutting their heads off and just taking their trophy heads and leaving the rest of the carcass and stuff. Just terrible. They got arrested, and he went to jail for poaching, which I didn't know was a thing that you could still do, but apparently... There you go. This isn't exactly was, a very feel-good story, Jeff. When <laughs> It's getting there. Okay. When he was sentenced, the judge included in his prison sentence that every month that he was in jail, he had to watch Bambi. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Was he strapped to a gurney with his eyes pried right. open like Clockwork Orange? Right, like Alex DeLarge. Like, it's a sin. <laughs> Either went that way, and he was like, now I'll never hurt another animal again. Oh, my God, they killed Bambi's mom. Or, and this is probably more likely based on how he ended up in jail, can you run the part where they shoot Bambi's mom again? <laughs> can you back that up, like, just five minutes? Right, just one more time. One more time through that part. Or he builds up a rage against rabbits because Thumper's a pain in the ass. (laughs) Or he comes out a furry because, you know. He's on the phone with his lawyer. Can you get arrested for poaching rabbits? Is that even a thing? Right, exactly. How about skunks? Can you shoot skunks? (laughs) People don't like skunks, do they? But, yeah, I can imagine, like, he must have dreaded that. He must get to the end of, like, let's say it's, like, the 10th showing. And he's white-knuckling the... You know, the the concrete slab that he sleeps on. Like, oh my God, okay, finally. And I've got 30 days, 29 days of sanity yeah. before I have to sit through this thing again. Nope, it's yeah. February. You only got 27. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sure that, like, reading the story that there are parents like me who are like, what, you watch Bambi once a month for a year? Baby, I watched Frozen 746 times in two days. <laughs> uh, moving on to the 18th, December the 18th, 1976. The television show Wonder Woman, uh, starring Linda Carter, debuts on ABC. That was a great show. Or at least my memory serves me that it was a great show. I haven't gone back and watched it in a long time. It was easily the best of the superhero shows produced in the 1970s, followed closely by The Hulk. Yep. But Wonder Woman was really, really well done. It was a good action show. It was well written. Mm -hmm. It was a lot like The Six Million Dollar Man and The Bionic Woman in story style. Yeah, yeah. But it hewed really close to the comics. I can see what you're saying there, like the the feel of it, sure, like the monster of the week kind of uh, kind of story te- it, storytelling. They, they, it yeah. was weird because like they never had Wonder Woman's like enemies on the show, like Cheetah or any of the others, right, right. who appeared in the comic books. She was always like working for the government, fighting like Nazis who traveled through time, or <laughs> <laughs> an, an organization of people who rob banks and steal wheelchairs but it was they never had the superheroes fight like other they were another there were no super villains they were just organizations that they fought against yeah, which it was literally could have been it, anybody it, it, they just stuck the wonder woman like costume on her right because you know, yeah because it had little to do with the comic book did you ever see the the pilot episode which wasn't with linda carter it was with kathy lee crosby I did, yeah. yes. And she didn't wear like the Wonder Woman suit because she wasn't really, didn't really have the body for it. So they, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, they put her, it was almost like in a jumpsuit, like a, a, a yeah. romper. Speaking of Linda Cotter, so I work for a Renaissance fair. I work for the King Richard's Fair in the fall time. Mm-hmm. And there was this woman standing around watching my game, Jeff. This woman was a 
dead ringer from Sarah Palin. She looked just like her. <laughs> and of course, I'm making the very obvious jokes. I was like, oh, can you see my game from your house? And stuff like that. And then I went over to talk to her afterwards. I go, boy, you must get that a lot, don't you? And she's like, yes, I do. But you want to hear the funniest part is, do you know what my name is? And I was like, oh, my God, is it Sarah Palin? Is it Sarah, at least? She goes, no, my name is Linda Carter. I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. <laughs> and then I, I was trying to make the joke, uh, like, is your husband's name Lyle Wagner? Because that would have been, like, a real, really obscure joke to make. But I couldn't get... Wagner out of my mouth. I kept on saying in my mind uh, Alcedo, uh, which doesn't make any sense uh, with that joke. <laughs> and I mean, Linda Carter, she was on a lot of TV movies and a lot of TV shows in the 70s and 80s. She did variety shows. She did variety shows. Yes, she did. It was the 70s. Um, of course she did. In the most recent, I think Wonder Woman 1984, she's in the end of that movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, she's like a little cameo, right? Wonder Woman. She definitely looks like she could still play the part if they do this multiverse mixing thing that they're, I don't know what they're talking about doing with a Flash movie, that she may end up in that as Wonder Woman as well. Yeah, I mean, for a woman, you know, probably up up near 70, she's hanging in there. She still looks great. You want to really enjoy yourself? Go to YouTube, Google Linda Carter, I Was Made for Loving You. On one of her variety shows, she did a cover of Kisses, I Was Made for Loving You. And it is exactly what you are looking for. Yes. And wrapping it up on the 19th. December 19th, 1973. Johnny Carson, host of The Tonight Show, late night TV talk show, is joking during his monologue and says, and I quote, You know, we've got all sorts of shortages these days, but have you heard the latest? I'm not kidding. I saw it in the papers. There's a shortage of toilet paper. This caused a panic where the public began to start hoarding toilet paper, causing a shortage in stores, which further panicked people and ultimately led to a real toilet paper shortage. Now, um, this sounds really familiar to me, Jeff. (laughs) I had to go back and read it twice because it's pretty much like the story of my life last year. You said 1973? 1973. Not 2020. Okay. Go on. It goes to show you that. Here's here's what I think happened in 2020 is somebody was on the phone with their grandparents and they're like, hey, you know what? Uh, this pandemic is really spooky. What should we do? And their grandparents said, hoard toilet paper. It's just like 1973 all over again. And that's what, how we ended up where we are. <laughs> yeah. Carson was right. <laughs> Carson is the prophet. What actually happened, though, was this guy, this congressman at the time, Harold Freeluch or whatever. I can't even pronounce this. Freeluch, we'll say. Harold, Harry, this congressman named Harry, he read remarks about the government falling short on securing bids to provide toilet paper for the troops and and bureaucrats saying, I hope we don't have to ration toilet paper. And, you know, this is during the whole, like, Arab oil embargo, which was causing shortages and long lines for gasoline. So it was kind of like an off-the-cuff joke that he made. Then that's what Carson was talking about. Holy hell. Yeah, people were hoarding toilet paper in 73. Did we learn? No, we didn't learn a damn thing. We were doing the same thing in uh, in 2020. And it goes to show you that even before, like, Ronald Reagan, we talk, who we talked about a couple, I don't know, maybe a month ago, right? Who did the, the rush is illegal. Yeah. Launching nukes in five minutes. Like, you know what? People listen to that right. stuff. People listen to you when you talk on TV. Yeah, there was that um, other guy that got, and, like, in and, big trouble. Was it Milton Berle? Who got in big trouble for telling kids to go into their parents' drawers and take money out and send it to them? I'm not sure if that was Milton Berle, but <laughs> I don't know. But that I wish I thought yeah. of that. 
hey kids, if you're if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> go to your parents' store. You can send that those dollars to. You don't have to go through the parents' store. Just Venmo it right over here using your parents' account. Right, yeah, Venmo. Yeah. Ven- Venmo. Yeah. Right, exactly. Venmo to Twibley at. <laughs> Were you impacted by the uh, the hoarding? I wasn't. Uh, okay, I'm not going to lie, Bill, and, uh, and this is the, me doing a true confession related to 2022. Is it's Ultimately, I didn't hoard toilet paper, but I still have a 12-pack that I bought right as things started to go haywire, and I still have it on what I call the apocalypse shelf in my basement. <laughs> so I have like a bunch of canned goods and some pasta and toilet paper. So no one knows where I live, so don't come rob me when the world ends, but um, I got a 12-pack of the old uh, two-ply. Uh, and a bag of black beans, yeah. I was never affected by it. I had, like, whenever the shortage started, I looked underneath my uh, sink, and I was like, I got six rolls. That's plenty. You know, I live by myself, and I never stopped working. So most of my uh, toiletry business was actually done at work. I think I finally bought toilet paper, we'll say six months ago. was the last time I finally bought toilet paper, yeah. So it's, it's proving the old adage, right? Boss makes a dollar, I make a dime. I do my business on company time. If I could do it on overtime, I will. For the celebrity birthdays, December the 13th, 1989, the future former Mrs. McLarge-Huge, Taylor Swift. Ah, my future ex-wife. Yes, Taylor Swift, who put out two fantastic records in 2020 that you should all get. That's all I'm (laughs) going to say. She put out two in 2020? Got to get to that trivia question. (laughs) So she put out two albums in 2020? Now, I knew she, she like, put out one, like, surprise album, like, during the, like, during the, not during the lockdowns, but, like, during the latter part of the lockdowns. She put out a second one, too? Yeah, she put out Folklore, and then, like, two months later, she put out Evermore, and they're both awesome. Oh, all right. They they sound like they're companion albums. They're not, though. Yeah, you'd think they would be, but they're not. They're different enough that they're different themes. They have a different vibe, as my daughter would say. They're both produced by the same guy. Different themes, so they're not about (laughs) ex-boyfriends? Yes. They're really good, mature records. They really, really are. I've been a big fan, especially of Evermore. I have... Great. I have not heard, but I will listen with a skeptic's ear because, you know, I'm not really a big pop music fan. December 14th, 1948. Erstwhile horror movie actress Dee Wallace Stone former star of Cujo, the mother in E.T., and Bill, I think you mentioned Popcorn, right? Yeah, she she was in this movie called Popcorn, which is a B-movie about B-movies. And (laughs) yeah, and it's a really weird movie. I saw it in the theater. I'd like to see it again. However, I don't want to see it for as much as they're charging for it. So every time I think about it, I'm like, oh, I'll I'll go buy it, you know, on Blu-ray. And it's like $45. And I'm like, no, I don't want to see it that much. (laughs) No, something that should be on a streaming service for free. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah, she's she's a horror movie. Like the majority of her stuff is all horror movie stuff. But she's always like the mom. You know what I mean? She's always the, the nice one. She's a uh, she, yep. she she makes for a good victim, I guess. No, I was gonna say she was. I mean, I remember her um, as the you know the mother protecting her like kid in Cujo right. from the dog that had rabies. Yeah, so. yeah, she's a mom. All right, so moving on to the fifteenth, December fifteenth, nineteen sixteen. Morris Wilkins. Uh, Morris Wilkins is a British biochemist and co-winner of the nineteen sixty-two Nobel Prize for discovering the structure of DNA. Uh, I, and he was also working on the uh, the first atomic bomb, you know, besides that. But, yeah, he discovered the, uh, you know, the double helix of DNA, which is why we now have the television show Forensic Files, which is awesome. For, for those of you kids out there, DNA is made up of four different chemicals, adenine, thionine, guanine, and cytosine. I can't remember, believe I remember that from high school. 
uh, <laughs> arranged in certain combinations. You learned that in high school? Easy, so. I did. I learned that in high school. Go figure. What the hell was I? Um, I don't know. Maybe that was the day you were home. Yeah. <laughs> Homesick. Yep. Um, was it? But I did. I learned that in high school. Did it happen to be on the day that the Challenger blew up? Because I know I was homesick that time. It could It could be. <laughs> it could very well have been that same day. All right. Moving on. So, uh, December 16th, 1950. Uh, English actress Carolyn Monroe, who, <laughs> if you like 70s schlock monsters uh, movies. Wait, wait. What's her name? Carolyn Monroe. That sounds. M-U-N-R-O. That sounds like. When your grandmother would go to, like, you know, the pharmacy and just buy you this, like, cheap knockoff toy. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, it's a, it says Space Wars. You like that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, Car- well, it's Carolyn Monroe. Enough, she's a sex pot. That's right. She's a pretty action figure, isn't she? <laughs> well, ironically enough, she's probably best known for starring in uh, Italian Star Wars ripoff called Star Crash. Written and directed by uh, Luigi Cozy. And it's a fantastically silly, goofy, goofy movie. Oh, yeah. Carolyn Monroe. Yeah. She used to fuck Walter Mondale. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, she was in Star Crash. She was in a Bond movie. I can't remember which one. She was in the Golden Voyage of Sinbad. So she's been in a whole bunch of bit parts. She was in like uh, Commander Cody Vampire Killer, this spaghetti western style vampire movie when Hammer films was just sort of hemorrhaging money and going out of business yeah you send me a picture of her she's she always puts in a yeah. yeah she's very voluptuous she looks like a 1970s sex symbol she definitely does yeah hey and who else is a 1970s sex symbol born december 17th 1946 canadian comedian and eyebrow enthusiast eugene levy canadian comedian is a funny that's a funny two-word phrase right there <laughs> That's a funny alliterative phrase. Yes. He's in so much stuff that I've seen, and yet mm-hmm. I had to look at look up to see the stuff that he was in because the only thing I really remembered him in, because he's probably the most famous now for being the dad in Amer- the American Pie movies. You know, prior to that, he was in, like, a, a, just so much stuff before that. Like, probably most famous for me is he's the car dealer in the very first Vacation movie. Oh, you may hate it now, but wait until you drive it. <laughs> well, right now, he's on he's on that show, Shit's Creek. Uh, oh, yeah. With his former SCTV partner there, Kathleen... Catherine. Oh, my God. You can remember the four chemicals in DNA, but you can't think of her name. I know. I can't remember... <laughs> Right? They, well, they didn't teach me that on Space Shuttle Blow Up Day, so I can't remember what to say. Um, yeah. Anyway, they've starred together in a whole bunch of films. Like, they were married. They were Jerry and Cookie Fleck in Best in Show. I can't remember that, but I can't remember her name. Uh, Catherine O'Hara. Oh, yes. Okay. That's, that's her, yeah. They've been paired together since SCTV. Like, they've been in a ton of things together. Right. So all of, like, the Christopher Guest mockumentaries, except for Spinal Tap. Right, yeah. They may have even been somewhere in Spinal Tap. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was in Best in Show, for sure. I remember seeing that. All right, and moving on. December 18th, 1936. Gary Dahl. That's D-A-H-L. Not in a hair metal band, but (laughs) the inventor of the pet rock. Oh, the biggest marketing genius ever. Right? Oh, God. The guys, they should just make people read about that dude in business school. What class are we in? People will buy anything, 101. For somebody that isn't a boomer or a Gen Xer, describe the pet rock, Jeff. It was a rock (laughs) that came in a box that said pet rock. And it came with an instruction sheet for taking care of your pet rock. Which was pretty much don't throw your pet rock away. That was a pet rock, and they cost like two or three dollars. They were. Cheap. I think it was four bucks. That number sticks out in my mind. Four bucks a pop. They sold millions, of millions them. of them, and they didn't even like put googly eyes or anything on them. It was just a rock. Yeah, it was just a rock. Yeah, and 
There was actually copycats and knockoffs at that time because I remember the girl that lived up the street from me, two houses up, she had a pet invisible fish. And it was just a, a, a small fishbowl. I mean, when I say small, like probably about the size of a magic eight ball. It was just water. It was a pet invisible fish. It was a knockoff of the of the uh, the pet rock. Like somebody was out there like, oh, if these idiots will buy this, they'll buy that, you know? I don't think anything was ever as, as popular as a pet rock, but like mood rings and I don't know, my kids collected all kinds of dumb, non-existent things, silly bands and other stuff that seems really ridiculous. But again, the pet rock was one that just really went everywhere. Even I wanted one when I was a kid. My mom was like, just go pick a rock up out of the yard, dum-dum. <laughs> That's what I did. And I called him Herbie. No, it's all over the house. And then, yeah, and then what happened was Herbie died because I forgot to feed him. And rapid- dad made me learn how to play Folsom Prison Blues before I could go pick him up. <laughs> all right. And moving on to the last of our celebrity birthdays, wrestling announcer extraordinaire born December 19th, 1942. Mean Gene Okerlund. Anybody who uh, who watched wrestling back in its first heyday in the 80s knows exactly who Mean Gene Okerlund is. You, who are not even a wrestling fan, I'm quite sure you know who Mean Gene is. I do. He was he was like the uh, he was like the uh, Tom Bosley of wrestling. So he was like everybody's weird stepdad who liked wrestling. Yeah, part of wrestling. He, I don't think he the dude ever slept. I think he announced every single match I've ever seen in my entire life between the ages of like ten and twenty five. Yeah, he wasn't really a ring announcer. He used to do all the interviews right. backstage and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what I mean by like he's like the face of the organization. Yes, you know, right. The guy that pretends to be the newscaster, like, I'm going to interview the honky-tonk man. He'd always say that, come on in. Another famous wrestling blooper, not up there with the likes of the Shockmaster, but equally as funny. (laughs) They were filming, uh, it was like a SummerSlam thing, right? And they were doing their interviews. And there was this sign that said SummerSlam, and it wasn't secured properly, and it kept falling down. So in the middle of the interview, they're talking, you know, and the sign falls, like, again. And Mean Gene Oakland just goes, fuck it, and walks off, right? Leaving yeah. Bobby Heenan, I think it was Bobby Heenan and Rick Rude just kind of like standing there, scratching their asses and not knowing what to do, right? <laughs> Here's the funny part about this, okay? That was pre-recorded. Yeah. They fixed it. They did another interview with the sign not falling and all that. But somebody played a joke and switched the tapes so whenever the live feed went out they showed that interview <laughs> and it fell and then you just oh nice and then mean gene drops an f-bomb right on pay-per-view yeah we're all like what did that just happen yep that happened <laughs> <laughs> i always liked mean gene i thought his 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 interview style was fun he always made it worthwhile to listen to the people that he was interviewing who sometimes were kind of incoherent crazy ranters uh, but he was always like grounded and and gave an air of realism and importance to it like, he was a good he was a good dude he seemed like a very nice and likable guy like you felt like you knew yeah. him yeah absolutely he humanized the uh, professional wrestling he recorded a song on a album full of wrestlers and he did a cover of Tutti Fruity from Little Richard. That wrestling album will no doubtedly show up on a future segment of The Worst Song Ever. Alright young Jeff, what do we got in the worst song ever rocket ship to hell today? Today I take you back to the halcyon days of like 1997 or thereabouts. 
where power pop was still a thing that you could hear on on regular FM radio. Uh And you would have been marinated in the song All Star by California power pop band Smash Mouth. Uh, Yes, it was in (laughs) movies. It was in TV shows. It was probably used in commercials. I don't it might have been used as a diuretic. I'm pretty sure it's used as an epicac. It's an incredibly irritating piece of music. I think Smash Mouth kind of like specialized in irritating music. Because prior to that, they had that Walk on the Sun song. I think that was the yep. name of it. They were from California, Southern California, and they definitely sounded like they were from Southern California. I remember reading on their wiki, wiki page that they kind of started out as more like a ska band. Yes. And then moved on to uh, other uh, retro styles. Before we go any further into the bio and, and deep dive into Smash... Mouth. Ugh. Ugh. I don't even like saying it. Let's uh, let's play the clip. Here is All Star. So, like I said, before we go any further with this deep dive, you know what really pisses me off about this song is you cannot start saying, whoa, 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 hey now, without somebody calling back and start singing the rest (laughs) of All Star back at you. Yeah. Like, because like saying hey now is just like a reflex. And now I got to like watch it because it's almost like that scene in Pee Wee Herman. We go, hey, listen, the stars at night are big and bright. (laughs) Deep in the heart of Texas. But everybody's just... Start singing right. All Star at me. My sort of issue with this band is like, ska's a thing. What is it that makes ska ska, Bill? Horns. What happens when you take the horns out of a ska band? Smash Mouth. <laughs> you get Smash Mouth. <laughs> you get Smash Mouth and you get No Doubt and you get Sublime and you get a ton of bands that sound like this. The difference between Smash Mouth and those other bands that sound like this is that I don't care who you are or what kind of rhythm you talent you were born with. You can't dance to any of Smash Mouth's music, and it's ultimately pop music. Oh, you can so try. Like, <laughs> you can try, but you're going to look like, you know, Elaine Bennis on Seinfeld having a moderate seizure. It's just not, it's not good. It sounds like it's all one note. You know who you're going to look like if you try dancing to a Smash Mouth song? You were going to look like Steve Harwell from Smash Mouth. <laughs> I watched this song in like 35 different versions in the last week to get ready for this. Yeah. You owe me. There's okay. bound to be like a vegetarian pizza in my future for this. But I watched everyone and all all he does is just amble around the stage. He has the stage presence of a rock. Pet <laughs> rock even. Every It sounds like somebody just going for three and a half minutes. Yeah, he's going to voice like a cicada bug. <laughs> yeah, he sounds like a 17 year cicada just crawled out of the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that is absolutely true. Here's a yin and yang about Smash Mouth. Smash Mouth lead singer and the only, I think it was just him and the bass player were the only two people in the band that like stayed for the whole uh, the whole run. But uh, Steve Harwell, one, he brought back the whole ugly guys and rock bands cliche. Right. 
You know, because up yep. until, you know, at that time, there was a lot of, like, you know, good-looking guys and all that. And then here comes here comes. We Steve. had him and John Popper from uh, Blues Traveler fighting for the ugliest person to front a band on yeah, planet Earth. Yeah, but at least Earth. John Popper sings, like, awesome, you know? Yes, he does. And he, he does, plays harmonica. Yeah, he doesn't sing like a cicada like we just established. And But the other thing, I, I blame it on the Smash Mouth, and I also blame it on that band Cake, is they brought into fashion the freaking bucket hat. In the late 90s. Yeah, that's a, that was a thing. Late 90s, like, all these dudes all started wearing, like, the bucket hats. It's like, for fuck's sake, you look like Gilligan. Take that off. You look stupid. <laughs> right. Unless you're singing a song about the professor putting together a coconut boat to get off the island. Yeah. Without a horn section. Right. Now, I... <sighs> I gotta preface this. I work at haunted houses, and we are told we can make fun of customers, but we can only make fun of customers on personal choices, like the shirt they're wearing or the way they cut their hair, whatever. We're not supposed to make fun of people's physical attributes. That being said, our friend Steve Harwell over here, his eyes look like they belong to somebody else. They look like they're photoshopped on. His eyes are really, really small. And if they were any further apart, he would be like a lizard or a fish or a rabbit, a pet rabbit. I wonder if you could play uh, Folsom Prison Blues. Or it would sound like... <laughs> like the song was so popular and so advertised that it... It, the song got used in Mystery Men. They did a cover of I'm a Believer, which broke my heart at the end of Shrek, which... Also broke my heart, yes. <laughs> and then put out a couple more records, and then pfft, that was it. They didn't sell anything else, because all their songs sound the same, and that same is lousy. Well, that was the thing, too. It's like, they put out that cover of I'm a Believer, and people were like, oh, hey, I like that song, because I like that song. They actually did a bunch of covers after that, they did um, Why Can't We Be Friends by War, Don't You Forget About Me from Simple Minds, Can't yeah. Get Enough of You Baby by Question Mark and the Mysterians. Ugh. And uh, they even did I Want to Be Like You from The Jungle Book. think that one of the 4,000 people that have been in this band, along <laughs> with Steve Harwell. Oh, they've had more drummers than that. Spinal Tap and Marillion put together, yeah. It seems like in between 1994 and about 1999, that people were just, like the guy who was sentenced to, to watch Bambi, people were just sent to this band. <laughs> right, you're the bass player for another you know, two weeks. There's a graph on their Wikipedia page that looks like a Gantt chart, for those of you who are project managers out there, <laughs> that shows all the dozens upon dozens of people that have been in Smash Mouth, or done their Smash Mouth time, as it were. Yeah, the just the drummers, just the drummers section alone looks looks like whenever they pixelate nudity is what <laughs> it's 1990s hbo scrambled at night yes all right so that is going to wrap up the show oh but we do have our trivia question now i want to get away for that because i'm pretty sure you know the answer i don't think i fooled you this week uh there was a company who up until 2018 who used the slogan don't be evil what company was that jeff that company was Google. Yes. And I knew that, yes. And now uh, that, you know, for the last three years, their slogan has been, <laughs> We may not own Disney, but we own all their personal data. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah, every now and then, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised I don't get an email that says, you know, that 12-pack of toilet paper in your apocalypse <laughs> shelf is probably going to need to be replaced. They're scary, and they know lots of stuff, and everybody uses them. So. And by the way, guys, 
Twibbly is available on Google Play. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's uh, going to be a wrap-up for this week. We'll see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye. And don't forget, you're an all-star. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> a special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibbly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. They'll probably get all the trivia questions right, too. Bastards.